Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at, at what that actually means. We kind of quickly, quickly just, you know, took a definition from that. And, and, and looked at what that means. And, and it means several things. But the three things that we really kind of focused on last week was this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That poor in spirit means that we recognize our spiritual need. Amen. We recognize the fact that you and I, without the sacrifice of Jesus, could do nothing about our sin. Amen. That is, we didn't have enough goodness in us. We didn't have enough church services to attend. We didn't have enough, you know, ministries to serve in in order to earn any kind of points between us and God. Jesus became the sacrifice that we needed to receive in our lives so that we could be reconciled to God. Amen? And so we have to understand, church, that a mark of a disciple, because this whole message is actually about discipleship. The disciples were those that we learned that, that sat willingly at the feet of Jesus. Amen? That is, they humbled themselves and they said, I want to be taught by Jesus. I want to be taught by the one who, this, he is the source of life. Amen? His words, the Bible says, are life and spirit. And so they sat themselves down in front of Jesus to be taught. And so these are the marks of a disciple. These are, the, these are the characteristics of a disciple. We recognize our spiritual need and where we would be without Jesus. How many of you can admit tonight that you would not be here and you would certainly not be the same if it was not for Jesus? Amen. I believe that once you came to Jesus, your life is completely transformed. Amen. Now we're a work in progress. Amen. There's salvation and then there's sanctification. Amen? That is, we get saved, we are born again, we've received Christ into our heart and into our life, and we are born again. We are now this beautiful spiritual baby in the Lord. Amen? And then this process of sanctification begins to happen in our life. That's the process of the Lord's Spirit entering into your heart and beginning to peel every layer back. Beginning to invade every area of your heart that you give Him access to. So all of a sudden, your, your actions change. The way you love others changes. Your attitude changes. The way you serve one another changes. Amen? You could have been a greedy individual before Jesus, but I pray that you're not greedy after you met Jesus. Amen? Because he transforms our life. He transforms us to be in the likeness of him. And so where would we be without Jesus? The second thing that we learned that was so important in that verse is this, is that we give credit to God. Amen? How many of you just finished giving credit to God? Amen? That is, you give glory and honor where it's due. You give the Lord the glory. We don't take for ourselves or, or even think for a moment that it was us that had anything to do with it. One of the things I mentioned to you last week was this, as I said, before you even knew him, Jeremiah 1.5, before he, you know, we knew him, he formed us in our mother's womb. Amen? That's before we knew him. And before you knew him, he was working still on your behalf. He was working and he was doing things in your life that you never acknowledged him for. 
You didn't understand that he was working in your life when you were going through that relationship. You didn't understand that he was working in your life when you were going through school and you were going through certain circumstances in your life. But until you came to know him and you gave your heart to him, that's when all of a sudden you should acknowledge him. But before I said yes to Jesus, he was already at work in my life. He saved me from deathbeds of, of almost dying in the hospital countless times. He protected me. He did so many things to get me up into that point to where I finally acknowledged all the time, all along, it was all him. And now that I am in the Lord, that I have a relationship with him, my priority and my responsibility is to always give him the glory you get a new job, it wasn't because you were a good and great worker. Sometimes we want to take credit for things. You know what? I'm glad you did the right thing, right? I'm glad you were a responsible steward with the job that you had. I'm glad that you do those things. But at the end of the day, church, it is God. The blessings, the Bible says every, not some good and perfect gifts, every Good and perfect gift comes from where? The Father of lights. He is the one that blesses us with the, with the knowledge, with the mind, with the skills, with the work, with, with the, the things that we have in this world. It's all from him, and he deserves all the glory. Amen? The third thing that we learn is to we, we have to acknowledge this fact. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have to acknowledge this one thing. We are no different from anyone else. The church is not an elite group of individuals. In the New Testament, there's a scripture that says this. It says that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we already are. Paul was giving a word to these people. He was saying, hang on a second. You have Jesus, right? Yes, that's good. In fact, that's the greatest thing that you could have ever received in your life. But it should never make us so out of touch with our surroundings and out of touch with the lost and out of touch with people that have great need around us that all of a sudden we do no earthly good. There's that saying that says that you could be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You could be so, oh man, I'm, I'm in love with you, Jesus, and oh, I worship you, Jesus, and I got Jesus on my Instagram bio, and I got Jesus on my Facebook, and I repost the Jesus stuff all over social media, but that doesn't mean that we are given the license to ignore our neighbor. He said to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't go away. That's not omitted from scripture all of a sudden because you've been in church for a long time. Sometimes it's, we're quick to just, you know, take on that, that mentality that the world gives us that we think that, you know what, you know, you know, you've been in the workplace for so long, you have tenure, right? That's what it's called. And when you've been in tenure for so long, that means that, that other people do the, the work. And you're just the, the older person that's there. You're just the one that gets to sit back and let everybody else do the work. But listen, my friend, that couldn't be further from the truth. We are ambassadors of Jesus. 
We are people that are supposed to be living for his will, his life, his word, and his spirit every day until he calls us home. Until he calls you home. Doesn't matter if you're the youngest in the room and it doesn't matter if you're the oldest in the room. There's still work to be done from the Lord. Amen. And we have to acknowledge, church, that yes, we are passing through this world, but guess what? Our responsibility now that we have met this beautiful Savior and we've come in contact and had an encounter with the living God is to share him with this world. Amen. How many of you know somebody that needs Jesus? Amen. Usually we know plenty of people that need Jesus. We need to offer them Jesus. I want to move quickly into the word tonight. And I want us to read this verse together with me. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. If you have your Bibles, open them up there. We'll all just read off the screen tonight. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. It says this. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let's read it one more time, everybody. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. My version says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now we read these verses and we read some of the things that Jesus says. And when he says them, they, they tend to have this kind of, blessed are the, the mourning. You know, blessed are those who are in mourning. Blessed are those who are sorrowful. And we read that and we kind of feel like those two words don't go together and so when you think of an individual that mourns, you think of somebody that, that lost somebody. Amen. And when you think of somebody that mourns, you think of somebody that was maybe hurt in a relationship or broken about something or, or depressed about a, a, a circumstance. The definition of mourn means to have a broken heart. It is the strongest word possible given to us for mourning. It's like deep mourning and wailing that occurs over the death of a loved one. It's a desperate, helpless sorrow. But the biblical definition for mourning is this. It is a sorrow for sin and a broken heart over evil and suffering. I'll read that one more time. It is sorrow for sin. How many of you have ever been sorrowful after you've sinned? Amen. If you're not saying amen... You need to get sad tonight. <laughs> a sorrow for sin, a broken heart over evil. We see the things that happen in our world today and it can't help but break our hearts sometimes. We see the evil and the things that are happening everywhere from sex trafficking to child molestation to all kinds of perversion and things that are happening in our world. And how can you just turn an eye and just be like, well, that's not my issue. That's not my problem. No, no, it should cause you to hurt. It should cause us to see this world that is in so great need of our Savior. It should pain us within to say we have to do something about what is happening in our world. We have the answer and his name is Jesus. Amen. 
I said, we have the answer in his name is Jesus. We have to have a broken heart over evil and over suffering that happens in this world. It is a brokenness of self that comes from seeing Christ, Christ on the cross and realizing that our sins put him there. It, it doesn't take much for me to get emotional sometimes when I, when I read the scripture. Because all I have to do is, is, is personalize it. And realize that when I read the scripture and it's talking about sins and sinners and it's talking about the sacrifice that he made, I know it was for me. Amen? Don't be like, you know, read scripture and be like, yeah, it's for that other guy. He was really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's for that guy that, you know, did all the crimes and, you know, killed a bunch of people. You know, no, 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 no. Everybody say, all have sinned. Say it. And fall short of the glory of God. We all need it. Amen. I said we all need it. What a powerful definition. Who is it that mourns? Who is it that's full of grief that they cry and they weep and they utter groans from deep within? There are two kinds of people that I want us to study tonight. There's two kinds of individuals that are those that, that mourn, that weep, that wail before the Lord. Number one is this. A sinner who mourns will be comforted. The sinner that mourns will be comforted. The person, that is, who is desperately sorry for their sins and their unworthiness before God, they will be comforted. It doesn't just simply say you'll be comforted. Part of the embrace that we receive from the Lord is knowing the fact that we don't even deserve his embrace to begin with. Part of the fact that, that, that blows our mind about the unconditional love of Christ is the fact that we know that we cannot earn it. We haven't done anything to deserve it, but yet he gave his life for you and I. And he embraces us in those moments when we have failed. Jesus, full well knowing that Peter would deny him three times in an evening before the rooster would crow, he full well knew that Peter was going to do that, but he said, listen, Peter, he said it even before he came back to him in repentance. He said, listen, Peter, I got a word from you. Listen, you're going to fail me three times before the rooster crows. But listen, but when you get back up, Peter, he said, you're going to go back and you're going to strengthen your brothers. There is a purpose behind everything that God allows to happen in our life. But Peter came back and he mourned for his sin. He mourned for the fact that he knew that he had failed Jesus. And Jesus knew he would fail him. See, just because we have this thing in our life that the Lord has so graciously given us called grace doesn't give us a license to sin. And it certainly doesn't give us a license to be proud of it. It doesn't give us a license to just walk around all pompous and thinking, you know what, we can go about our business because, oh, thank you for your grace, Lord. You're going to just bestow that grace upon my life once again and I'm going to be good to go. The person who's sorry for their sins and their unworthiness before God, they have such a sense of sin that their heart becomes broken. Have you ever been there? You've been in that place where you know that you're unworthy of the calling of God and the salvation that you've received in your life. You've been in that place where you know that you have nothing to offer when you stand in his presence. 
You've been in that place where you say, Lord, I, 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 I can do nothing about this. I can do nothing about my person, nothing about my being. And we're always being reminded that it's only through him that we're able to be in his presence. Jesus is the access, right? John chapter 14, he says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He's the door, he's the gate, amen? He's the only way that we are able to enter into the presence of God. And the most humble reminder is when we read the word of God, when we read scripture and are cut to the heart, our heart should mourn and wail knowing full well that it's only by the grace of God that we are forgiven of sin. I want us to read this story and it's just a powerful, powerful illustration about this point that I'm trying to make tonight. We find it in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, and I want us to read this story. Jesus says this. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Verse 10, he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. Now, let me just stop and say, how many of us know what a Pharisee is? Amen? The Pharisees were the religious rulers of the day, those that were self-righteous. They thought that they could manipulate the, 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 the word. They thought they could manipulate the temple. They were trying to do everything in their power to, to shut Jesus down. And they were confident of their own righteousness. So it says here, the Pharisee, this man that's confident of his own righteousness, he stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I pray that when you pray, you're not pointing at somebody across the room. Because that's exactly what this guy's doing. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like Pastor Duke. That guy's crazy. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like Sister So-and-So because I've always had it together. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. He says, I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Wow, he sounds like a great guy. Great guy, upstanding, right? He's got it all together. He does everything right. It says, but the tax collector. Everybody say, I'm the tax collector. <laughs> The tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He's so aware of his position and his condition before God that he won't even lift his eyes to heaven. I can imagine this man is just crouched down, you know, face down at the altar, we could presume. And he's wailing before God. And he won't even look up to heaven as if he's worthy to just look upwards. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, that's the tax collector, 
rather than the other went home justified before God. It says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. See, there's something so powerful that happens, church, when we stand before our creator in mourning, humility, and in repentance. The tax collector's heart, he was truly sorrowful for the sins that he had committed. Amen? And he, it, was, it was truly his heart was at a place of repentance, and it was an enviable state of blessedness that comes to those who mourn over their sin. It's the individual that says, Lord, I, I, I know, God, that I am a sinner before you. And it's not shaming yourself. There's a difference. It's not shaming yourself saying that you've, you've done everything wrong and you're, you're this most horrible person in the world. It's not that. We have, to, we have to make the distinguishing thing. But we do have to understand that we are completely dependent on him for forgiveness. Amen. We are completely dependent on him for mercy. We cannot get mercy and attain mercy or grace for ourselves. And so it's that posture of the heart church that says, you know what, Lord, I know I have nothing to offer you, Lord, but I bow down in your presence. And God, I know, Lord, that, that I'm not even worthy to be here. It's that individual that will be comforted. It's that person that receives the embrace of an almighty God. There's a prophetic picture in Zechariah that describes the day that the nation of Israel will be saved. And I don't want to get on that rabbit trail at the moment. But Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says this. He said, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication." The word supplication means a humble plea, like it's, it's, it's an earnest plea. It says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and supplication. And it says, and they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Notice the language that's used here. It says, they will look on me the one they have pierced. The last time that I checked, we are the sinners that needed the forgiveness of our sins. And it was our sins, the sins of mankind, the sins of the entire world that he died and gave his life for. It was for the sins of the entire world. And I want us to notice what they say there. It says, they will look on me the one they have pierced. It doesn't say the one that the Roman soldier and the centurions, they pounded the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus. It says that they have pierced him. It's personal. You say, well, Pastor Duke, I wasn't there on that day, but your sin was. I wasn't there in that moment, but your sins were. Only God could recall everything that we would ever do. Only the Son of God could know every single sin that every single individual would ever commit and yet give his life. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 says this, has not my hand made all of these things and so they came into being, declares the Lord. He says, this is the one that I esteem. 
He who is humble and contrite. Contrite means penitent. It means humbled by our own sin and failure to seek after God. It says, this is the one I esteemed. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. I believe that we need to tremble at the word of God again. To have a holy reverence and a holy fear for God again, that we tremble at the very word of God. That there is such a reverence for the word of God, there is such a reverence for the spirit and the presence of God that we actually tremble when we hear it. He's a holy God. Amen. He's a righteous God. Amen. I thank God for his mercy and I thank God for his love, but he is holy and he's righteous and he is blameless and he's coming back for a church that looks like him. Amen. He's coming back for individuals that are living their life according to the word. It says, this is the one I esteem, he who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, when we agree with God about how bad our sin is and we repent of that sin and we seek his power to walk away from it, Jesus promises the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But this only happens when we understand our need for him. Amen. The kind of mourning that leads to repentance is truly blessed. I want to read that verse to you. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. It says, but worldly sorrow brings death. The difference between world sorrow, worldly sorrow and, and, and a sorrow over our sins or the things that we have done before God is one is redeemable. When I am sorrowful before God and I say, Lord, I, 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 I truly have failed you, God. I, I, whether it was knowingly or unknowingly, we committed sin and we come before the Lord. He will comfort us and he will redeem us. Amen. He will forgive that sin. He will separate it as far as the east is from the west. But the worldly sorrow is the one that sorrows without hope. It's the one that sorrows with, 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 without belief that there is anything that is redeemable. It's the one that sorrows that says, you know what, it's, it's all going up and smoking. We have no hope that, that, you know, God doesn't exist. He's not going to redeem us. He's not going to help us. And, and all of a sudden it just leads to death. But I know that my hope in Jesus, church, doesn't lead me to death. It leads me to eternal life in him. It doesn't lead me to a place where all of a sudden I have no hope and I have no future and all of a sudden Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't exist in the Bible. No, it leads me to hope in him because he is our hope. Amen. He is our hope and he is our redeemer. But in this verse in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, there was an issue of corruption and there was an issue of division that had sprung up within the church of Corinth. The people actually had begun attacking their minister and their ministers, and they were challenged with, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, getting involved in a certain type of sin. And so they had the need to cleanse themselves of sin and from false teachers. And so there was this thing that was happening in their church at that time, and as a result, Paul had to. He, you know, he had to sternly address them. Amen? 
He had to sternly address them in such a way because they had gotten tangled up in controversy. They had got tangled up in false doctrine. They had got tangled up in all these things. But at the end of the day, what they failed to do was minister Christ to the world around them. They got stuck, they got entangled, and all these things were happening. And so Paul writes this stern letter of correction to them. And as a result, as a result, Paul declaring the truth, and many, if not most, of the members of the church of Corinth, they repented. Do you know that it's truth, church, that will set you free? Amen. It's truth that will set us free. It's not us thinking, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll share this with you because I thought it was amazing and, and hilarious at the same time and also very well uh, uh, necessary. When a minister brings a challenging word, you have two options. Repent or resist. Amen, Right? When the word of God is preached to you in its truth, it's, it's corrective, it's, it, it, it chastens us, it disciplines us, it comes in a way that leaves us ultimately with two options. To repent or to resist. To dig in your heels and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Pastor told me to stop giving all my money to Disneyland. I'm not going to do that. My kids like Mickey Mouse. Pastor brought quite a word on Sunday, Amen. And what I love about him, and this is what made me laugh, is, you know, he, he does it on Pastor Appreciation Day. <laughs> only, only he would do that. Now, that's not a knock on him. In fact, I'm impressed by it. Because most pastors would be in the position of wanting to just be nice to the church and, you know, kind of just suck up and be all like, hey, you know, get, get on the good side of the church, you know, for a second. Not Pastor Soto. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He's already said it a million times. He's like, I'm on my way out. That's what he always says. But he challenged the church to stop using excuses. Amen? He challenged the church to stop allowing the intimidation of the enemy to cause you to fall away and from leading our homes to Jesus. Amen. He challenges to lead our children to the Lord and live a godly life. And he challenged the church to bring their families back to the house of God. But guess what? All were given the option to repent or resist. At the end of the day, when the word of God is taught and when the word is preached, it's up to you. It's not up to how awesome your church is or how, you know, not awesome your church is or how good your pastor preaches or not how good he preaches or how well the worship sounds. None of those things matter. At the end of the day, we have the responsibility to respond to what his word says. And say, Lord, I will change my life, God. And I will, I will say, God, just do what you want to do in me, Lord. I repent. I'm not that prideful, God. At the end of the day, I want to see the kingdom of heaven. This is the end goal, is it not? The end goal is that one day you would inherit the kingdom of heaven. One day you would, in that day of finality, you would step into an eternity with the presence of God. That's my goal. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm on my way to heaven, like pastor says. Amen. 
But here's the deal. People can dig their heels in the ground and think that they're fine in their own self-righteousness. Or they can let the word of God do its work. Let the word of God do its work. When you allow this seed to flow into your heart, that thing that you need desperate deliverance from, it comes. But you will never be freed from the things that you refuse to address. Amen. You'll never be freed from the things that you refuse to address in your life, from the things that you just want to sweep under the rug and think like, I'm going to be fine. No, no, no. You have a choice. Repent or resist. Those who learn to mourn over their sin, find the heart of God. And it's that intimate fellowship with the Lord, with God, that is the very foundation of the comfort and the happiness that we receive from the Lord. Amen? Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. Amen? The Holy Spirit would comfort us. The Spirit comforts those who are honest about their sin and humble enough to ask for forgiveness and healing in their life. Those who hide their sin, though, or try to justify it before God can never know the comfort that comes from a pure heart. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 says this. He who conceals his sin, everybody say it. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. That is, they don't have peace or right standing with God in their life. I'm not talking about prosperity like, oh, they got a new job. You can get a new job all you want and still go to hell. You can get a new car all you want and and, and still be on your way to hell. Amen? Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but whoever, everybody say it, confesses them and renounces them finds mercy. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that you got to get on the church Facebook page and confess all your sins. That's not what I'm saying. Because there's more people in the church that would probably be quick to shame you about those things than to comfort you like the Lord would. But here's what I am saying. Is that you have the responsibility to say, Lord, deal with my life. Deal with my heart, Lord. I confess these things before you, Lord. Sometimes we feel not the need to confess because we say, well, God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He knows he was there. But it's from confession, church, that when we speak and we purge out that thing that that the enemy had us caught up in, and we say, Lord, I need your mercy. Father, forgive me of these things. The same way that we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and he enters our heart is the same way that when we confess and we purge that sin to God that he comforts your life, church. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says this, for this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, he says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. It says to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, this is what the Lord longs to do in our life, amen? To revive the heart of those who are humble before him, 
to redeem those who truly have expressed and, and understand their need and their desperate need for him. Matthew 5 and 4, read it again. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jerry Bridges said this. He said, the solution to staying on the right side of the fine line between using and abusing grace is repentance. The road to repentance is godly sorrow, and godly sorrow is developed when we focus on the true nature of sin as an offense against God rather than something that makes us feel guilty. Big difference, isn't it? Sometimes we just think that the sin is the thing that makes us feel guilty, but actually it's an offense towards God. And yes, we're guilty. Amen? We're guilty of that sin. The second group of people that mourn and, are, and find comfort is this. Is the person that hurts at the suffering of others becomes a source of comfort. The person that hurts at the suffering of others becomes a source of comfort. That is a person that feels the desperate plight of, of others around them. And the terrible suffering and the things that they might face in their life, the tragedies, the problems, the sinful behavior of others, the state, the condition, the lostness of the world, they all weigh ever so heavily upon the heart of the mourner. If you want to know an individual that's sensitive to God, just listen to when they see things on the news and see how they respond and react. Some people say, well, it's just what it is. They're almost numb to it. And that numbness actually causes inactivity. Causes laziness. Causes people to sit back and do nothing. And just watch it burn. But the person that truly hurts. That mourns for the lostness of the world. That, 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 that sees the, the things and the delusion and the confusion. And all the stuff that the enemy's trying to do in the lives of people all around us. It's that individual that, that mourns and they wail over those things. Because they know that they desperately need Jesus. It's that individual that will get up from their, from their place. From wherever they are and do something about it. Serve the king. Romans 12 and 15 says this. It says, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we mourn with those who mourn. Has, there, has seeing somebody go through something ever caused you to hurt for that individual? Has that ever happened to you? Causes you to hurt for that person? Has someone else's problem ever caused you to do something about it? Amen? I told you a couple of weeks ago that, you know, whenever I see somebody on the side of the road and, and maybe their car's broken down or they're pushing their car down the street, I always remember the times when I needed a push. And yes, I had a horrible car. <laughs> a few. <laughs> I had a, my first car was, was, was so awesome. And I bought it from this man right here. Wave your hand, Carlos. It's my mom's husband right there. Bought my first car from him. And after about a year, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> Mandy and I were able to finally date she was 18 and I was 19 and I took her to her senior prom right because that's what an awesome guy like myself would do we didn't even like go to the thing we just took pictures and went to a restaurant and like you know we didn't participate in any, anything else I 
am ordered to drop her off. We have like, I think it was 11 o'clock curfew or something. So I'm racing home, drop her off, get her home, get her there at home and uh, say goodnight or whatever. Jump in my car and I'm driving back on the expressway. You know, they used to live kind of on the east side of Edinburgh. And so they, they were real close to where the highway is. And so jump on the expressway and I lived in, in far at the time. So I'm driving and I, I, I get in my car and as I'm rounding that corner, you know, right there where the movies is in, in Edinburgh, I'm rounding that corner and the car just comes to a screeching halt. I'm going like 75 and it's just, <laughs> it's like 11 something at night by this time. And I'm like, okay, what just happened? It felt like somebody slammed on the brakes and I had no control over the, over the vehicle at all. Didn't know, you know, what was happening. And I'm trying to start the ignition. I'm trying to get this thing going. I'm trying to pump the gas, you know, get the thing moving. And it, and it turns on for a second. And I was on the, on the, on the inside most lane in the fast lane. And, and I needed to be over here where the exit is. And so I literally putted across the highway like, I'm talking like at, at like half a mile an hour, I'm literally putting across the highway, and I get my car right in front of the exit, and it will not move. Okay? So I am in a, I don't know, I'm in like a light blue tux, like the blue lights on the ceiling. I'm in this light, light blue tux, and, and this is before, like, um, I had a cell phone. So guess who takes off running down the highway, you know, on a dark, you know, April night? Me. I take off running down the highway, and this is before the Trenton exit was there. It didn't exist. It was actually this overpass that you had to go up and over, and I ran all the way to the El Tigre on Klausner and Trenton in a tuxedo. I get inside the gas station, and I'm like... And the guy's looking at me like, dude, you know, what's wrong with you? And I'm in a tuxedo, you know, like of all things. And, and I didn't take it off for some reason. I have no idea why. I ran down the highway in, you know, blue vest and, in, you know, shiny shoes or whatever. And I get there and I'm like, sorry, I need to make a phone call. And, and I called pastor because I had literally just left his house. And he got in his truck and he, he, he hitched up my car and we put a chain on it. We literally dragged it all the way through the city of Edinburgh, took it all the way to his house. Finally get to his house at about one in the morning. I crashed and fall asleep on the couch and came to church the next morning. Not in my tux. He took me home to this so I could change before service. I say all that because I went through a season in life when I was a young man that I had car trouble left and right. You know, I, I had a couple vehicles that just, you know, they let me down, you know, and they... They kept me going on the side of the road. And it always made me conscious of the fact of the way that I felt in those moments. The helpless feeling that I felt in those moments. The, the need that I had in those moments for somebody to maybe pull over and say, hey, man, you need a hand. Right? Hey, is there something I could do to help you? Is there something I could do to, to you, know, you know, remedy the situation? And a lot of times there was very few people that were there for me in those moments. And I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be like that. I don't ever want to be the individual, Lord, that would just walk past an individual that has great need. And just be like, well, I got something that I got to get to and just, just pass people by. But all too often, church, sometimes that becomes us. 
You see somebody outside of a grocery store and they have a need for money or they have a need for gas. They have some kind of need in their life. And, and all too often, we're the individual that will just walk right by. Because we have somewhere to go. and We have something to do. And we trust that somebody else is going to meet the need of that individual when the Lord is trusting us. You see somebody begging and you offer them some money. You see somebody getting picked on and you stand in the gap for that individual that needs defense. Or maybe you see somebody dying of a disease and you cover them in prayer. Have you ever hurt for somebody else? The Bible explains the reason for us mourning for others is so that we can comfort them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Amen. How many of you have ever received the comfort of God? Amen. Isn't it the best feeling in the world? It is the best feeling in the world and that even when nobody else knows how you're feeling or what you're feeling or what you've gone through, the Lord knows. Amen? He's a good comforter. Amen? And he always steps in at that right and perfect time to comfort your life. And I know, church, that I've received the comfort of God in my life in, in, in various ways through people and through loved ones and through, you know, just his Holy Spirit presence in my life. And, and there's times when you receive the comfort of God. It can be in those personal times of, of loneliness, those personal times of, of battle, of challenge in your life. That The peace of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God will blanket you and he'll cover you with his comfort. That very thing that you feel in that moment of knowing that God is with you. The Prince of Peace has now stepped into the room and stepped into that situation that you're dealing with. That very peace and resolve that you feel in that moment, church, is to be offered to somebody else. Amen. It's a powerful thing when we receive the peace of God in our life, saying like, Lord, you didn't have to step into the room. Oh, but Lord, I thank you that you did. We are designed and we are built and it's in the DNA of everyone that is a disciple of Jesus that we would be those that would comfort others. The first half of 2 Corinthians 1.4 says he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. And so our responsibility as a disciple of Jesus and those who have received of his supernatural comfort and peace is this. Is that we take what you and I have received from God and we embrace others who are in trouble. We embrace somebody else that has great need. And we love on others whom are in a difficult circumstance. And we remind them of the truths of, of the word of God. And we take hold of them and we focus their heart on the Lord and on his plan for their life. We rebuke the enemy in everything that he would try to do to, 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 to have a plan or, or something that would succeed in their life. And this is exactly what Jesus does for you. Amen. This is exactly what he does for us. He comforts us in our trouble. When chaos is going on all around you, he is the one that steals the storm. Amen. When, when your mind is running amok and you don't know what to do, the Bible says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, it says you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast on you. Amen. 
when Jesus steps into the situation, everything changes. Amen. But the Lord is entrusting you and I to be a representative of him and his kingdom in this world. That when somebody is going through something, you step into the picture and you step into that, that moment and say, what can we do for you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I embrace you today? What word can I offer you from the word of God that would change your heart and change your life? You see, it's in those moments that the church needs to be the church. It's in those great moments of pain and hurt that we have to step up and represent him well. Represent him the way that he lives and does for us. The person who mourns is comforted by Christ himself. Christ was called the man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 talks about this. Verse 3 says this, he was despised and rejected by mankind. It doesn't sound like Jesus was very popular. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. How many of you have ever gone through some pain? Guess what? Jesus was familiar with pain. It says, like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. You know, when I read that verse, you know, sometimes we see people in our world that, that, that maybe they have a deformity. And I've always noticed this about people. You see somebody that might have a deformity in their, in their life, their body. And people look away. More often than not, people won't make eye contact. They just, they don't know how to respond because there's an abnormality or something wrong with an individual. It says here in the scripture that Jesus was like one from whom people hide their faces. And he was despised and we held him. Everybody say we. We held him in low esteem. Not in high esteem, not in the best seat in the house, not in the place of honor. We held him in low esteem. And it says, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 63 and verse 9 says, In all their distress, he too was distressed. And it says, And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and he carried them all the days of old. You see, Jesus fulfills both parts of this verse. He's very much concerned with people's hurts and pains and needs. But that does not stop him from becoming the answer that you need. It does not stop him from becoming the answer that somebody needs. We can be well aware of, of, of an individual that's going through a circumstance. You can be well aware of, of the friend that you might have that's in the hospital or somebody that you know that's going through a hard financial situation. Listen, it does us no good to represent Jesus and do nothing about it. In James chapter 2, it talks about faith and works, right? Faith without works is? Say it again. Faith without works is dead. It says, what good is it to say to your neighbor, 
that you know is naked and hungry, lost and broken, and say, go on, be of good cheer, be well fed. You didn't clothe them. You didn't feed them. You did nothing about their condition. Faith without the work is dead. Jesus fulfills both parts of the verse. And I challenge you and I, church, tonight to become the individual that God uses to help somebody in need. That God would use to help somebody in need by prayer. Amen. Everybody know how to pray? You can pray for somebody. Amen. Offering prayer is one of the most powerful things that you can do and offer to somebody in this world that we are living in right now. I love my brother Prince and, and Daniel, Linnell as well. They were going to Walmart, you know, in Edinburgh for a while. And Prince would tell me, he said, that they would just talk to people. People walk out of Walmart and they say, can we pray for you? And it's a simple, it's a yes or no, right? Some people say, no, I'm fine, thank you. Others might just say no. Others might not acknowledge them. But more times than not, people would say, oh, yeah, what can I pray for? Oh, well, you know, my mom or my family member got a bad diagnosis. You know, can you lift them up in prayer? Yeah, absolutely. And stop right there in that moment in a parking lot and call upon the almighty God to show mercy, to release healing, to touch, to bless, to change their situation. That says more about Jesus and the God that you believe in than a million invitations to invite somebody to your church. That says more about the God that you believe in because you will put him to the test in that moment. I'll never forget that lady that I prayed for. A DJ was actually with me. He was in the car, but he was with me. He was there. Oh, yeah, he got off. That's right. And we were passing out flyers for this, like, uh, outreach thing that we did at Pastor's House. And... I remember I handed this lady this flyer and it was just that, right? It was just, oh, here's an invitation to this thing. And as I was leaving, the Holy Spirit just stopped me. Now, I thank God that I'm able to hear the voice of God and I'm able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean I'm always responsive. And in that moment, I clearly knew the Lord. He said, stop. And I, I hit the brakes. He says, Ask her if she needs prayer. Okay, Lord. And I turned right around and I said, I'm sorry to bother you. She's like, yeah, what's up? I said, can I pray for you? Do you need prayer for anything today? <laughs> she goes, yeah. Almost like a challenge in her response. I say, yeah. Actually, I do. And she lifted up her shirt. 
And she showed me that she had a morphine port in the side of her body. She says, I have seven herniated discs in my back. Can you pray for that? Absolutely. And I'll never forget praying <laughs> the most simple prayer I think I've ever prayed in my life. Just called upon the Lord. I said, Lord, come before you today, God, and I just ask, Lord, that you would touch this woman's body. Just touch her, Lord, right now. And, and I'll never forget, I was praying, and I had my eyes open, and, and as I was praying, and it was no more than a 30-second prayer, I see this lady just pop up like that. And as I'm praying for her, I could feel just the fire of the Holy Spirit all over. And she looks at me. She goes, did you feel that? And I said, yeah, I felt that. She goes, I felt fire go from my feet all the way up to my back. And she was like, you know, there's a woman standing out in the middle of the street, you know, picking up the back of her shirt. She's like, touch my back. She's like, touch my back. It's on fire. And I was like, well, I believe you. You know, I, you know, I didn't want it to get weird. I was like, I believe you. You know, I trust you. And, 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 and she was like, oh, my God. And then I look at her daughter, and her daughter was standing there, too. And she told me this as well. She says, she says my daughter hears voices. She says she's been diagnosed with, with uh, bipolar schizophrenia. She says, but I know that they're evil voices. I know that they're demons that talk to her. It's a woman that's not a Christian. She confessed that and professed that later. She said, but I know they're evil voices that speak to her. Can you pray for her? The evil voices tell her to cut herself and she, was, she had shorts on and just a t-shirt and she had cut marks all over her arms all over her legs. I said, we're going to pray right now. I said, but here's what I'm going to pray for. You're going to hear another voice. It's going to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be calling your heart. He's going to be calling your name. And to that voice, you must respond. So we began to pray, and she said she just felt like peace. Like she didn't know how to describe it, but she was just like, I, I feel peace. And then we prayed again. I prayed twice for her, and and I prayed the second time, and she said that she could hear that voice. I said, respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Every day, there's people that are living in a tormented life that we know nothing about. But we have to do something about it. We have to do something about it, church. We have to offer them the one who offered all things for us. And I challenge you again to become that person that will help somebody in need by prayer, by action, but most of all, by love. Amen? Don't merely mourn for others, but, but mourn and do something about it. Amen? Because faith without action is dead. Jesus had every right to look past our hurt and our pain because of our sin. But the truth is, is he never did that. He loved us. Did you know that a miracle to an individual that does not know God is evidence that God loves them? Amen. It's evidence that there is a God that loves them because he would do something about their need. 
He would do something about their suffering. He would do something about that very thing that they need relief in their spirit and in their heart about. And so in order to uh, inherit the promises mentioned in these powerful words of Jesus, we must adhere to his petition. Blessed are those who mourn. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.